podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Here, we love talking about everything Batman. The BatmanUniverse.net has news, original content, and reviews about Batman comics, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. Check out the BatmanUniverse.net and join our Discord server to start chatting with fellow fans. We can't wait to talk to you guys. Also, visit our Patreon page and join our other awesome supporters. But enough of this nonsense. On with the show. In 2008, a podcast was created with one goal. To bring Bat fans around the world news related to movies, comics, video games, television, merchandise, and so much more. And now... The Batman Universe Podcast has returned. Hey, Bat fans. Welcome to the Batman Universe podcast. Um, it's been a minute since we last released an episode. We moved our scheduling around a little bit and took a brief break, but we are back. Uh, joining me today, uh, this is Scott, by the way, and joining me today is Otto and BJ. And we are going to hit through a wide range of topics, you know, doing a little recap of an event that happened not too long ago. A, James Gunn update on Creature Commandos, um, a recent news story about um, Mark Tyler Nobleman, who famously found Athena Finger and kind of got the ball rolling with um, getting Bill Finger's name credited um, on Batman movies, you know, since 2016, moving on forward. And then just a little bit of DCU canon news. So packed episode um but first as we've been want to do in these episodes as of late we have our batman icebreaker and i'm gonna jump right into it and hand over the floor to otto and bj but the question this week is who is your favorite member of the bat family and why and if you had to recommend a story featuring them what would it be um, so my favorite uh, member is um, it's probably, he's probably my favorite character in comics. Like I love Batman, I love Spider Man, but my favorite character overall is Dick Grayson. Whether he's Robin, Batman, Nightwing, but he's usually always been my go-to guy. Like I think red and green are my favorite colors. So from an early age, seeing him, seeing Burt Ward run around in that suit. And if I had to recommend a story, one of my favorite Dick Grayson stories is the Gauntlet. I don't know if you guys have read that. I forget the uh, the writer, but the art the artist is Lee Weeks, and uh, the Gauntlet. That's one of my favorite stories. It's like Batman Dick's first night out as Robin, and Batman gives him a test. Like he has to evade Batman throughout the city, and like there's gangsters in it. Like none of the big uh, rogues gallery, but it's very like early on in Batman's career, so it's always been one of my favorites. So I'm actually I was also gonna pick. Uh... Dick Grayson. Um, 
I mean, the easy answer, of course, is is Batman himself. But uh, I feel, for me personally, um, especially where I'm at in life now, I feel like Dick Grayson is just more relatable on a personal level. Um, and I kind of will go for maybe the easy answer, but I've actually been really impressed uh, by the current Nightwing. Uh, run. I've read the first three volumes of uh, Tom Taylor's Nightwing, and the fact that I'm complimenting it should say something because I have never read a Tom Taylor book that I liked prior to to reading these three. Um, so I, I definitely recommend uh, checking out the current Nightwing run. Run, and also if you want something that's a little more uh, slice of life uh, for early Dick Grayson as Robin, I would recommend, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Lamar's, uh, series that he did, uh, Batman and Robin a little while ago. That's a nice little, uh, mini series to check out. So this is going to be, uh, <laughs> we're all kind of in, in agreement on this one, but I think Otto, you put it really well by saying, you know, the stage in life you're at right now, it's, it's a character you relate to. And it got me thinking that, you know, if this was, I don't know, 15 years ago, I probably would have said Tim Drake. But I also am going with Dick Grayson. <laughs> and I think it's it's I think it's because he's he's like the ideal. We've had seen this in other comics where like Batman, you know, either he'll hint at it or he'll directly just come out and say it, depending on who's writing it and who he's talking to. But Dick Grayson's kind of like the ideal you know, incarnation of Batman, you know, that he wants someone who's kind of free from the restraints of, you know, Bruce Wayne's sorrows. I mean, obviously Dick Grayson lost his family and everything too, but he has a lot of, a lot more of a lighter attitude than Batman. So I feel like, you know, that's something I gravitate toward, but as far as story goes, I had a hard time locking down one. Basically, you know, when I think of like peak Dick Grayson for me, it really is um, the Grant Morrison, you know, era there where Bruce Wayne was gone or trapped in time, I guess I'll say. Um, and Dick Grayson had to reluctantly pick up the cowl and wear it and be Batman and also take the, this annoying, uh, <laughs> overly aggressive and mean spirited Robin under his wing. And just like that dynamic between Damien and Dick and their relationship and Dick having to step in that role was a thing that is, is probably peak, um, Dick Grayson for me. I mean, I like a lot of the Nightwing stuff too, but I always, I think of yeah. those, those Batman years. It's, it's weird with him. Like, obviously like we're all kind of like the same generation, but like growing up, like on TV, like we had, Dick Grayson as Robin, like in uh, Batman 66 reruns and like the animated series and even in uh, the Batman, that animated series. But in comics, we always had him as Nightwing. Like, so it is it's kind of weird. Like, you never know where to go with like, oh, who's your favorite Robin? Well, I love Dick Grayson, but my favorite Robin's Tim Drake or Damien or whatever. So because that's why I kind of like tend to gravitate a little to those like really well done Dick Grayson Robin stories like those new Teen Titans stories or like ones where it's like a flashback, like an early set in the early days, not like, you know, like the 40, like the 60s comic Robin where like Batman was wearing like a colorful outfit to hide that Robin had a broken arm or something weird like that. But I've always kind of grabbed, I've always tried to find like those like OG, like Dick Grayson, good Robin stories. 
Yeah, and one more uh, recommendation, I think. It, I mean, the mileage may vary for people on this one, but uh, Tom King's Grayson Run, slightly different uh, feel to thing, feel to the character. Uh, but some of some people, I think, might really connect with that series as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely different and something, you know, most people won't, I think, expect or see. But yeah, I also, VJ, I also do gravitate to a lot of the classic uh Dick Grace and Robin stories as well. The fact that the world's finest series running right now is like that yes. era. Dick Grayson is is definitely perfect. like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But um <laughs> hopefully, you know, we'll see what our listeners say. It's it's a round robin of Dick Grayson on the cast. But if you guys have a differing opinion out there, you could always write us at tbu at the batmanuniverse.net or join our discourse, a uh, discord, not discourse, but you can join the discourse on our discord and vehemently disagree with us in the comments. Totally cool. We can take it. <laughs> but moving on, uh, we don't obviously there's been, you know, some strikes happening. It's really delayed a lot of DCU news, a lot of Batman movie news in general. Everything in that field is kind of brought to a standstill because you had a writer's strike and an actor's strike. The writer's strike strike is obviously ended now, but um, everything stopped. Though we did get a few morsels of news, um, one being that the first technically DCU canon story per James Gunn um, Creature Commandos, the animated show, uh, was not impacted by the strike, you know, because of the fact that it's animated. So it won't be delayed. You know, voice recording has already wrapped and there will be a total of seven episodes. They didn't say, I don't think they said how long, but we're getting seven episodes of that, you know, um, per James Gunn, you know, nothing is canon until Creature, Creature Commandos next year, a sort of aperitif to the DCU. And then a deeper dive into the universe with the Superman legacy after that. It's a very human drive to want to understand everything all the time. But I think it's okay to be confused on what's happening in the DCU since no one has seen anything from the DCU yet. So that was a direct response to people questioning, you know, what's going on with this whole canon and everything being up in the air. But um, at least we'll get that on time and it'll be something to introduce people to what's finally going on with this it feels like we've been talking about this forever, this new universe change. But that being said, you know, are you guys looking forward to this, to Creature Commando specifically? You know, and how do you think it'll be received given the looming impact of the strikes and possibly delaying everything after? Uh, I am looking forward to, I think. I mean, I know nothing of the Creature Commandos really, but um, it seems... Like, like you said, like I think it will be pretty much well received because we haven't had really anything uh, to kind of like sink our teeth into of like DC wise other than Blue Beetle, which I don't think, which was I like the movie, but it, I don't, it really kind of didn't make an impact on Twitter or anything. But yeah, I am looking forward to. It. I think it's written by Gunn. Am I right about that? Um, you know, I have to check. I mean, I didn't really see uh, too much. I thought we first said it was like that he wrote it, but I'm sure to have all the wacky gun elements or whatever, like it's animated so they can kind of let loose. And I think it'll just be kind of a fun little, you know, appetizer. Oh, you're right. It was written by him. And that makes sense. It's kind of up his alley. Yeah. 
yeah, his uh, I think his brother is in it as well in a voice acting role. Um, but as you said, like I have no I have no background uh, with this uh, team, uh, the Creature Commandos, and I think that's actually an advantage because I think most people are in that position, which means there's nothing to compare it to. You're going in with no expectations. So this is kind of like you're opening with something that's uh, icing on the cake. If it's good, that's great for them. Uh, if it's bad, you can pivot away really easily. It's only seven episodes and it's animated. And so, I mean, as far as, and you know, the, the voice cast seems to be pretty good. Uh, there's a lot of big stars, big name stars on the voice cast. Um, and I think as far as the quality, I think because it's gun writing it, because it's an animation, because it's his trademark team of misfits, or that's what it appears to be, at least to, to me, who has no background with the creature commandos. I think uh, we've seen kind of that tone with Guardians and uh, of the Galaxy uh, and maybe even uh, Suicide Squad. So I think we should just expect something along the lines of those two projects going forward. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I'm in agreement. I don't think, I think everything you guys said is sensible and, you know, makes, you know, is about all you can say at this point, you know, so it's something to look forward to. And I also have no frame of reference every time, you know, I've never read it. I've never really paid too much attention to it, but that was me with Guardians of the Galaxy. And actually, no, actually, no, I had a negative reaction to Guardians of the Galaxy when they announced it because uh, I always remembered it as the um, book in the like 50 cent bin that I didn't want. And then obviously the movies came out and I was totally wrong in that department, but that's okay. <laughs> I think um, next episode we'll have to do a deep dive on Creature Commandos. We'll have to, I know, Otto, you've been reading everything. So I think that's your next reading project. So I actually just quickly, I totaled up how many uh, trade paperbacks I've read uh, in the last month and a half. I've read 47. <laughs> so, Ooh, whoa. <laughs> any creature commandos on that list no creature commandos no creature command I'm, I'm, I'm still catching up on just the, the main ongoing series i haven't prior to this little catch-up stretch i hadn't really read anything for about maybe two and two and a half years or something like that so this has been a really needed catch-up uh, session seen you posting about them sometimes i miss it though because i'll come back to the discord it's like just a huge thread and i'm like i ain't reading all that but do you have any standouts out of the 47 you read? Uh, well, well, like I said, um, the Tom Taylor Nightwing was really good. I I enjoyed the uh, Becky Cloonan uh, and Michael Conrad Wonder Woman, at least uh, I think the first three volumes and The Trial of the Amazons. The last couple get kind of condensed because they were you know they wanted to fit everything in before the 800th issue and then they were doing a new there's a new creative team coming on so that's a little um it's a little rushed um i also think the action comics uh i always refer to him as pkj but i think his name is philip kennedy johnson uh that has been really really good and then i think the batman series uh i I was reading tiny's batman series which was i think really really strong um and then i read the first volume of of sidarsky's uh run failsafe which is also really good batman the knight strongly recommend that that's a great like batman begins origin story style um novel and then, as you also mentioned, World's Finest, I read the first volume of that. Uh, really classic looking tale. Like uh, Dan Moore's art is so good. Uh, it's kind of unfair. Um, but uh, yeah, those are, my, I would say, my main recommendations. 
are you reading all these on the app or you're not buying all these are you oh we'll talk off air oh, okay. all, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right all right <laughs> Hey, you got a second? The Batman universe is looking for Batman fans with something to say. If you're interested in writing reviews of your favorite Batman books, or you want to contribute original content with articles like the top 10 forgotten Batman villains, or why dead Didio's exit from DC was the worst thing to ever happen, then we want to invite you to join our TBU staff family as a writer. Just reach out to our email tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net and let us know that you want to become one of our writers. It's that easy. And honestly, there's no reason not to. You get exclusive access to our TBU staff Discord server, you get early access to comics, and you meet a lot of cool people. What are you waiting for? Email us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net and let us know that you want to become one of our writers. Okay. Um, our next article, I hesitated on this, but I, I went back and forth on this a few times because I think it's like, it's because of the person involved and kind of the sphere of influence this person's had, it's definitely worth talking about. But also I know because we're a fan cast, we tend to stay away from anything that is like a current events hot button issue, you know, regardless of anyone feels I have, you know, strong feelings on this. And so do a lot of other people, you know, that either agree with me or disagree, you know? Um, but I decided to put it on here anyway. And, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, recently, I don't know how listeners, um, if they're aware of Mark Tyler Nobleman, but, you know, to do the very truncated Cliff Notes version, he's um, a writer. He did a lot of digging into the history of Bill Finger. Um, he wrote a book. You know, it led to a Batman and Bill documentary, you know, and in the process of this, you know, learning about who Bill Finger was and his involvement with creating Batman and so on and so forth. He found um, Bill Finger's granddaughter. Uh, Athena Finger, who we've had on this podcast. She's a very sweet person, wonderful discussion. I can link to that interview below. Um, at the time, we were talking about a play that she helped write um, about her grandfather and you know his involvement with Batman. So it was a play that ran in Rhode Island. Um, but Mark Tyler Nobleman's been going on tour talking about Bill Finger in schools and he accidentally, well, not accidentally, he was talking about Bill Finger's son, Fred Finger, and mentioned that Fred Finger is or was gay. Um, and in Atlanta, that is not something you do. It's not something you do in the state of Georgia. They have passed a lot of le legislation in order to, quote, like, protect the children, unquote. And so they asked him to not you know, talk about that part. They argued it was irrelevant. You know, it's not really irrelevant to the story. It's kind of important to the story and kind of the journey of, you know, what's going on with the Finger family and, you know, their attempts to try to get Bill Finger credit um, because Fred Finger was involved in it for a time and kind of gave up and Athena Finger picked up the torch. But point being, um, at first, you know, Mark, Tyler Nolan mentioned that he was kind of blindsided and so he agreed, but 
a couple days later, he changed his mind and he canceled the rest of his talks to kids about this issue. So, um, you know, I'll post the AP article to it below in the show notes if you guys want to read more. It's kind of a long article and it does meander a little bit. It's not, it's one of the better ones I found, but, you know, not my favorite. I wish, you know, I kind of like the straight to the point, but um, I bring this up because, again, because of the characters involved and, you know, what are your thoughts and reactions on this? Yeah, it's too, it's too bad. Like I read that book um, for the site and did a review on it and the book's awesome. Like I learned a lot about, you know, Bob Kane and Bill Finger and the whole backstory of Batman. And, you know, it's too bad. Like I'm sure I think back to when I was a kid in elementary school or wherever he was doing these talks. And like, if someone come in and talking about Batman, like I would have been, I would actually been excited for that assembly. And then for having it to be canceled, like it's too bad that the kids would, I mean, they would learn a lot about the, how their, one of their favorite characters was created and the kids would have been interested to actually paid attention to the assembly. But I mean, it's too bad. Like it's obviously, I mean, we're not going to solve any issues, uh, the three of us here on a podcast or anything, but it's just, yeah, it's, it kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, I, what I'm going to say is kind of going to kind of sound like I'm sitting on the fence. Uh, but it's because for one, I'm not American. So I'm kind of looking at it from the outside uh, and just from reading the article. So I'm kind of, there's a lot of context, like political context to that decision um, that I'm not really in the middle of. So I like, I'm, I'm just absorbing it sort of secondhand from reading about it. I do know here in Canada, this is also a very hot topic uh, uh, regarding the school curriculum. Um, I will say there's some parts of the article, like they have quotes from some groups who were supporting the fact that he wasn't supposed to say this. Some of that seems very over the top and kind of like vindictive almost. Um, but, and this is the, I mean, this is the kind of the uncomfortable part about living in a liberal democracy, right? Like you have competing rights that are rubbing up against each other. And when that, when that happens, you get some friction and some tension. Like, so yeah, people have the right to, um, you know, have whatever identity they wish to have. That is a protected right in a liberal democracy. And at the same time, people have the right to practice their faith or practice, um, uh, not sorry, practice their faith or uh, parent their children as they, as they wish, provided there's no criminal, uh, <laughs> criminal behavior there. Um, so I do think on the one hand, like, um, depending on, like, again, there's context, right? Like how old are the kids in the elementary school, you know? Um, so the parents should have a right maybe to know what their kids are being taught. That doesn't mean that someone shouldn't have the right to teach at that school. We had a, a similar situation here in Canada where, uh, the parents were explained, uh, there was a letter going home explaining what was going to happen. And then parents had the decision to keep their kids at home or send them to school. And I think that's the best solution, right? You're not censoring someone. And then at the same time, you're giving parents the authority, which I think is inherent to any parent to 
parent their child as they wish uh, when the child's a minor. So as BJ said, we're not solving any issues here. Uh, these are very, very complicated uh, topics. Uh, I almost feel a little like uncomfortable that I'm sitting on the fence about it, but uh, it, I think it is the, the true loss here is that the kids are not going to learn about Batman and uh, you know, the creator of Batman and, and his life. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And that's, when I was a kid, they would do the waiver thing. So, you know, and that, I feel like that was a sensible thing, but obviously we live uh, in an era where everything's hot button issue and it's um, completely for, completely against. So, but yeah, it is disappointing and sad. And, you know, I don't know, there's a, obviously based on the book and the documentary, there's a really good story there too. And something that could be aspirational and, motivational um and i guess we'll just leave it there you know because i also echo that i feel kind of uncomfortable sitting on the fence too but again <laughs> we'll leave that to another podcast because as bj said and you echoed Adel, um we're not solving anything here but Figured I'd mention it and bring it up because we do cover a lot of Batman news and it was something that happened recently, Batman related, that was interesting to say the least. Um, our next topic, <laughs> we're taking quite the leap, we're moving past that um, and on much less serious notes. But, Otto, um, you went to Fan Expo Canada in Toronto. And there is a great um, write-up you did. It's going to be linked below on our site. But I'm going to turn the floor over to you if you want to give a quick pitch or summary or discuss some highlights of some of the things you saw or panels you saw. Yeah, so this is this was my first time going to Fan Expo since, I think, 2017 or 2018. Uh, I had a great time. This is my second time overall going to Fan Expo. First time as a credentialed press member, uh, which is actually a huge advantage. Thank you to the folks at the Rosewood PR and Fan Expo for allowing us to cover it. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest advantages is there's so many people at Fan Expo that that, that badge lets you cut the line. So you go right in, which is a huge help to, get, to getting to sessions on time. Um, but it was great. I mean, it's a celebration of uh, all these different properties that we as fans really love. Um, and they had, you know, there's cosplay activities, there's game gaming activities, there's esports, there's a whole shopping exhibit, just massive shopping. If so, if you're someone who like really loves buying single issue comics, there were so many different booths there where you could buy uh comics like and, and old ones too, not not just new ones, just like some ones from like 1960, 1970. Um, uh, there was the one thing I wish I would have had time for, uh, which was really cool. They had a uh, like you could make your own armor, like they would teach you how to do that. And then you get to keep like a piece to take home with you. And I just didn't have time to to fit that in. Uh, I really wish uh, I had done that. And I think I'll definitely make an effort to do that next time. Um, the comic book panels were great. Um the, the setting is very intimate. So like there's only, I would say maybe 10 rows of seating. So you can go in, you can 
be right there face to face with these uh, creators. You can ask them questions. Uh, Ken Lashley did a like a sketch, multiple sketches actually in real time. So there's like an overhead projector where you can kind of see the process, and it's really cool to see something come together. Because I think we always we're so used to seeing uh, stuff on like the finish page, uh, and we don't see the process behind it. And so he did uh, a symbiote Ghost Rider, which was a very interesting, uh, very interesting sketch. Um, the three jokers panel uh, which i also attended with jason fabic brad anderson was phenomenal they gave so much insight um into how they made the book some of the creative decisions behind it i definitely recommend uh reading that part of the the write-up i did uh, because there's a lot of detail there if, if you're someone who loved the three jokers uh story um and yeah i mean i would encourage everyone to you know try and visit Toronto is my hometown so uh, I've been living here for well over a decade now uh, it's a great city uh, it's a great event as well so definitely check it out nice yeah no I I really appreciated your thoughts and your write-up and everything too so um, again it's linked below and if you guys want to check it out do so um, and then you know we're going to go back to DCU and the Creature Commando Superman Legacy thing. Uh, we don't really have much news beyond, you know, Creature Commandos coming out and everything, and that it's the official start. But I guess there's something that's weird about it. And uh, it was brought up in our Discord. I don't think you brought it up in our Discord. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. But um, it was about Aquaman 2 ha having yet to come out. And that, you know, Blue Beetle came out and it, underperformed you know i guess that's not a surprise really apparently it was really great but um just the audience didn't show up but uh you know while the train is leaving the station for the new canon to start there's still a movie waiting in the wings that's coming out later this year that is seemingly getting steamrolled over um but you know i guess first off do you guys have any thoughts on Aquaman 2 that the Aquaman 2 that has yet to be released? Are you still interested in seeing it or are you going to kind of just sleep past that one? I'll definitely see it. I mean, I kind of I I see all these movies. Uh so I'll definitely I'll definitely see it and like I like the first one. I like Momoa and I watched that trailer a couple of times. It looked fun. I think Black Manta's cool looking in it. Um, who knows what's going to happen to the baby? We know what happens to the baby in the comics, but we'll see if they if they take that extra step for the for the movie. But yeah, I'll definitely see it. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to see it as well. I I enjoyed the first one, and I think the first one was most people did enjoy it. It was financially successful. It made over a billion dollars at the global box office. Um, I mean, the thing I find weird about the release of this one, and it's pro it might be because they are transitioning to this new cinematic universe, but there's been almost no buildup, no hype for, for Aquaman. And I find that very strange considering this financial success of the previous one. It was arguably their biggest success of the previous, uh, of the previous cinematic universe. And yet uh, there, was there was no trailer until very recently, which was, I mean, a few months before like two months i think before it's slated to to release uh which is also strange um 
but I, I feel, I kind of feel bad for, you know, the people who worked on it because I mean, maybe they don't care, but uh, I would care if I was involved in that project, like it's coming out and then it's just going to go nowhere. Uh, uh, at least with the flash, it was, there was these, uh, the plot line of the flash was related to the multiverse and that type of thing with this. It just feels like, well, why, why are we doing this? Why should we go see this? You know, which is kind of sad. Yeah, I guess there's something to be said that at least um, everybody who made Aquaman 2, it's not like the people who made Batgirl. (laughs) Maybe maybe they're going for like the Flash trailer and merchandise was kind of everywhere. So maybe they're doing an opposite thing here where they're really not going to. And George Costanza in it and just kind of do an opposite thing where they're not going to do any promotion and then we'll see it it hit big. Speaking of Batgirl, I don't know if you want to briefly talk about that. There was that story that came out where uh, there was some stunt person or someone on the set of Batgirl who was suing uh, the production for fatal injuries that they sustained uh, in the filming of the in the course of filming the the movie, and it just feels really bad because you know obviously anytime someone has that type of situation happen to them, it is really you know bad, but. Then the movie didn't even come out on top of that. So it's almost like I went through all this for what? Yeah. Yeah. No, I did see that pastor. I didn't read the full article, so I didn't feel comfortable as much speaking about it. But and I think that's part of it too, is because I have a there's a word I'm looking for. I can't think of it right now, but I feel like every week or two there's something from Bad Girl that gets like leaked out. And usually it's like stills or like behind the scenes like stuff or like the directors hanging out with someone going, Hey, we made this movie. You know, <laughs> you're never gonna see it. And so I kind of have that like, you know, at this point it's like I'm becoming numb to Batgirl news, but no, that is that is really sad. And I feel bad for that stunt person because yeah, all that effort for for something that's going to live in infamy, infamy alongside Jerry Lewis's clown movie. Um, but the reason why I kind of wanted to circle back to this is because I wanted to talk about the DCEU and figure this could be our, this could serve as our unofficial wrap up uh, to the old canon, you know, just because it's something I've been thinking about lately, you know, cause it was a weird, I don't know how many years this was now. It was, it was, it was you know, at least a decade, I want to say, but um do you feel there is value in the DCEU both as a Batman fan and as a DC fan? So I would probably I would probably lean a little more positive on the positive side to the DCEU. Like that little that like Snyder trilogy of Man of Steel, BVS, and then his version of Justice League. I I do like there's a lot there's a lot going on. Like not everything landed for me, but there's a lot going on that I liked. And when you compare like the Snyder Justice League to the theatrical cut, like if you kind of watch those back to back, like that, the Joss Whedon one, like nothing kind of happens in it. Like in that final scene, like Superman shows up, is knocking Steppenwolf around. And then like Aquaman and Wonder Woman are just kind of like standing there and doing nothing. At least in the Snyder version, they're fighting parademons and, you know, they end up cutting Steppenwolf's head off and things like that. So at least. There were a lot of threads that he was leaving that obviously not everything landed like DVS is the weird Steppenwolf scene with Lex and like the pool of Kryptonian goo at least like I do lean more positively towards the DCU as a whole and I do like uh, Ben as uh, Affleck as Batman. 
Yeah, so I, I won't say there's completely no value to it, but I am going to lean slightly more negative. Uh, and here's why. First of all, you you brought up the fact that it is almost 10 years now, maybe even slightly over 10 years uh, that we have been with the DCEU. Their output in terms of uh, the number of films has been uh, very meager compared to the MCU, uh, which is their main competition. Uh, and then in terms of quality, most of the films that they've put out are like six out of tens, which is like, uh, you know, nothing great, not even really good, just, you know, maybe slightly above average, that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, I and then the, the second second reason I'm go and probably the main reason I'm going more negative is because I think that the failure of the DCEU and I've said this on previous podcasts has done irreparable damage to the brand of uh, of the DC characters, in film at least. Um, and I think we see that now with the box office uh, numbers for DC films. There's not a lot of hype. There's not a lot of excitement for whatever reason. Fans just aren't in on it anymore. I think there needs to be, and that's the promise of this new universe, this new cinematic universe, is that it's supposed to revitalize that. It's supposed to be the change to bring the fans back into the cinema to see the movies with these characters. So we'll see if that can happen. Uh, but this, that damage, to that the damage um, that caused that has been the DCEU films. And it was right after the Nolan films, which built up a huge amount of goodwill. People were extremely excited for BVS and then it's all been kind of downhill from there. I think the the Reeves the Reeves Batman film has been the one exception, I would say, but that's not even in the old universe and it's not in the in the new universe, so it's kind of its own thing. Um and as a Batman fan, I I like Affleck in the role. Uh I thought he was great. My problem is a lot of like just the way that the DCEU Batman acted doesn't really didn't really feel Batman like to me like the the airstrike on uh, the goons just blowing them up the Batmobile just gunning them down in the streets um, that kind of thing didn't really sit well with me people might say you know Batman in other films has quote-unquote kill people and while I think that Batman has been brutal in other films and by other films I mainly mean the Nolan films not the Keaton films um, I think the, the, the Nolan films went out of their way just to, to say that for all the violence you see on screen, no one actually died. Like the car chase scene, when he comes back and Batman begins and Alfred's like, it's a miracle. No one died. Well, yeah, it is, but that's an important plot point. Right. So we know that none of that happened. Um, but you know, even with the bad, there is some good. I liked, um, the Batman scene where at the end, I think of BBS where he visits Lex in prison. Uh, I thought that was that was like quintessential Batman to me. I thought the choreography in the the fight in the warehouse uh, towards the end of that film, just the fist fight aspect of it was like really, really well done. Um, so, I mean, that's but that's the extent of it. So that's why I'm I'm definitely going more negative. And that's fair. Like, that's the reason why when I came with this question, I was thinking about it because I was thinking about how long it's been, how many films up until the Batman we had that didn't have Batman as a solo character you know it was all it were, they were more outside of man of steel it felt like they were just team-based movies um and then 
you know, while I was thinking about it, it kind of felt like a weird fever dream to me. And that's kind of where, where I'll just leave it is it felt like I had some strange dream where like all these movies came out and I didn't really have much feeling either way for any of them. I kind of like Man of Steel. Um, the first Suicide Squad, I did have a very uh, negative reaction to that. I was I kind of left that theater angry, but a lot of that rested on the fact that, well, two things. It was a bad movie, but also I will go on record as saying I feel like the Joker is probably a pretty easy character to play, and most actors do it very well. But Jared Leto is not one of those people. Far from it, you know? <laughs> um that being said, you know, it was just it was just an interesting thing to think about because like there are a lot of people who like it. And like even if a movie like I didn't like it, I'll I'll pick on Batman versus Superman. I feel like there are interesting ideas in that film and things I wish would have been explored further that you know I was actually digging. Like I remember sitting in the theater for that one where I was there's parts of the movie where I'm like, yeah, I'm really into this. This is great. And then like by the end, I was kind of tired, but I think that's because. I just didn't like the doomsday part, really, mainly that whole, once they actually got to the fight, I felt like we were past it. We already worked our way through it. We don't even need it anymore. This movie's more interesting than than these two guys, like, punching each other for 20 minutes. But, um, you know, yeah, it's just a weird period to to <laughs> to move past. And I think that's probably why they keep hyping up the ZCU or referencing that it's coming and it's going to change everything. We hear that over and over and over again. We've heard it for like a year now. Um, and that's probably just to kind of like plant that seed in people's heads and maybe win back some of that audience. But um, that being said, and kind of going back to what I was talking about, Batman versus Superman, you know, looking back, are there interesting ideas that you guys think maybe didn't land, but probably, or, you know, and you you can have examples or not, doesn't matter, but maybe influence like the superhero film genre as a whole. Hmm. Uh, let me say, Adel, you got anything? I gotta, I gotta think about this one. So I think one of the things that really intrigued me is like, how would the world really react if Superman appeared? I think that's one of the things, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm for or against Snyder's interpretation of what that would look like, but the fact, but the fact that he introduced that idea um, and, and kind of tried to explore it, I think was something that was really interesting. And what would the ramifications be like on all levels of society if Superman suddenly appeared? Um, I also think uh, having so one of the things I wish is that the the conflict between Batman as a human character and Superman as this like super powered alien was slight like the reasons for them fighting were slightly stronger uh, in the film and the <laughs> it's kind of funny because their fight. Um, could have been prevented with a simple conversation. Like if they just talked before fighting, like there would have been no need to fight. But then if you look at the comic book, that's the inspiration for it. They did talk before fighting. and But the reason that they're fighting is something much higher than what either of them necessarily want, right? Um, there's levels to their conflict there. And I wish that had been introduced a bit more, but I, I will give Snyder credit for, you know, trying to explore those ideas a little bit. Yeah, Snyder did kind of like take 
superheroes and kind of push it like a little like 15 degrees like a little bit of different way and kind of he really leaned into like oh there are their gods like among everybody which which was interesting like one of the probably one of like the big like ideas like from the whole dcu that really that like when it was happened when he's when affleck said it like i was like oh my god this is incredible was his uh conversation with alfred when he was like 20 years in gotham like we've seen what promises are worth like how many good guys are left or like how many stayed that way and just like hearing that line like as a batman fan like oh my god like jason todd like we know there's a dead robin out there like he could be out there like it, immediately that one line kind of sent in like a whole 20 year backstory of the ben affleck bruce wayne batman that we ne- that we just never got which like it, it is kind of like just unkept promises like this whole little universe but it's fun to think about it's always been fun to talk about like for 10 years like think of how many podcasts kind of have been built on just the DC, just man of steel alone like I, that's the one that move that movie like kind of like invented like comic book like movie twitter like you're either for it or against it you, there's no in between yeah but actually you saying that bj kind of makes me wonder like if Zack snyder was more in a producer role and just kind of wrote these ideas down on a piece of paper and handed them off to different directors not like the same yeah. one but like different delegated it i wonder how those would have hit you know if there would have been we would have had that like nuance to like really dig deep and like fundamentally change, you know, how we look at superhero films. And like, that's like kind of, that's kind of like where we go with the first Wonder Woman where like he introduced Wonder Woman, but he didn't direct that movie. Like he handed that off to Patty Jenkins and said, all right, develop this backstory. Like I'll lean into a little like with in BVS, like her, uh, I know you guys are kind of freaking out because you guys aren't the biggest Gal Gadot fans, but like uh just kind of like leaning into like her backstory like where she's like oh you've never met anyone like me like just little things like that which was kind of good fun easter eggs to drop and it led into uh the first movie which i which i like yeah i'm, I'm not a i'm not a gal gadot fan but i did like the first film yeah. i thought the first film was good um and i think you know we were talking a lot of, and rightfully so about uh snyder because he was kind of the architect for this but i think we should also mention the fact that there was just in the interest of fairness and you know there was a lot of interference from the studio at the studio le- at the executive level for this they were rushing a certain vision because they thought they had to compete with the avengers uh, right away and i think the rush to do that uh, just completely destroyed all potential in the DCEU uh, right from the very beginning. Uh, so it's kind of doomed from the start in that sense. Yeah, I, I think, mean, that's didn't true. They, didn't David Goyer come out like fairly, like very recently and like kind of like confirm everything we've been talking about for like 10 years? Like the studio rushed everything and interfered. And I, I remember I reading that, I was like, yeah, thanks. Like the sky's blue too. Like awesome. <laughs> The sky is blue too. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess that's a good enough place as any to end (laughs) this episode. Um, But yeah, no, I, I will say though, I appreciate the discussion on that. And I feel like it's good to look back at these things and who knows, like maybe in a couple of years from now, we'll feel differently, but um, you know, and for our listeners, you know, we're curious to hear what you think as well, you know, and um 
you can always chat with us. You can hop on our Discord link. I've mentioned that before. And you can also write us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net and we'll respond to your comments on air. You know, other than that, visit us at thebatmanuniverse.net for comic reviews, movie news, and more, you know, including editorials and other fun articles. We have BJ doing um, TBU five things as well, which are always, uh, always great to read. Um, and if you like these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and share for BJ Adel and myself. Thanks for listening.